All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm here again at Sarah Week, day three. Uh, today we are meeting with Ronaldo Brutico, um, the CEO and CTO of H2C. Um, how about you take a moment to introduce yourself, Ronaldo? Hi, I'm Ronaldo Brutico. I'm uh, been at this a very long time. I'm a merchant banker by trade and founded this company in 2008 when I wrote a book in 2007 about hydrogen and other renewable energies and starting in 2008 I started inventing the patents that are basically the underpinning for H2C which we call the hydrogen delivery company that's our whole business is to just deliver hydrogen nothing else pure hydrogen pure hydrogen okay so um, how did this come about anyways what was the inspiration <laughs> that's a great story uh, the short version is I was the principal energy advisor of the state of Hawaii in my nonprofit world and um, they have this huge resource called Puna Geothermal on the Big Island of Hawaii. Enormous amount of electricity it generates, but it's on the Big Island of Hawaii where nobody lives. And the people live in Honolulu, 250 miles away. So the state wanted to know whether they should build an undersea cable network, like a grid, to connect all the islands to get the energy to uh, Honolulu. And I said, no, won't work. And the numbers don't show it because the caverns are too deep, the currents are too swift. If you could pay to build it, which you can't, you couldn't pay to maintain it. He says, so how are we going to get all that energy from the Big Island over to Honolulu? And I said, well, you got a lot of water because it's rainforest where that Puna Geothermal is. So why don't you take the electricity from the Puna Geothermal and electrolyze the hydrogen and put it in a dirigible and float it to Honolulu, which is 250 miles away? And the Speaker of the House said to me, well, does such a dirigible exist yet? I said, No. But there's no reason why it couldn't. <laughs> that's how the company started. <laughs> oh, that's how it started. Wow. So uh, you've always been into hydrogen before you were even making money doing it. Yeah. Is oh, yeah. No, this is a passion of mine because I wrote this book in 2007. It looked at all the forms of renewable energy. And when you get through them all and you study them all, it turns out that the one you're going to come to is hydrogen. It's the only one that can make a big enough dent in all the various ways that fossil fuel is the primary fuel source of the planet. And since it was clear to me that climate change was a bigger issue than people realized in 2008, that we needed to do something to try and change that as quick as possible before the damage became irreparable. And so that started me on investigating hydrogen. I've invented a lot of other things in my life, and so I decided, okay, I'll take a shot at inventing a dirigible. And as you know, I've now done it with the Dassault Aviation from the Dassault Systems in France. Uh, where we've worked together for over four years, and we we think so, and we think that uh, that will launch in 2030. That's a, a craft that goes 150 to 300 miles an hour. Uh, it's a thousand feet long, carries up to 400,000 pounds, and the best part is it's liquid hydrogen. So you get a lot of British thermal units of energy per cubic meter. The density is good, and that that aircraft. Um, which I'm, we're partnered with Dassault. I mean, we're not a customer. I mean, Dassault invests their own money to help this get done. And we went to them because we knew that Dassault's name on it would give it credibility. If you met me and I told you I was building a dirigible, you'd go, well, how would you know how to build a dirigible? <laughs> Dassault, you know, they make Falcon, and Mirage jets. They make, and in the military, they make Falcon jets in the commercial market. They're the, the, the premier aviation aeronautical company in France. So when Dassault says it will fly, everybody knows it will fly. So what is the, uh, 
pipeline in the sky, as you guys call it? What well, is the purpose? Well, the, the purpose is to take huge quantities of liquid hydrogen from all the places around the world that it's going to get made. And there's already at least 30 plants that have been pre either permitted or under construction. Uh, and those plants are going to create hydrogen using renewable energy, so-called green hydrogen. So it's places like Morocco, where they have wind and sun. It's places like the tip of Chile, where they have Patagonia has tremendous wind. Um, Morocco also has water, by the way. Most people don't know that because of the Atlas Mountains. Morocco has water. And all you need to make hydrogen is water and electricity. Here's a number most people may or may not know. The cost of making a kilogram of hydrogen is about 73% the cost of the electricity. So if you get a, le a very inexpensive cost of electricity, by that we mean two cents a kilowatt hour or less, you can produce hydrogen, green hydrogen, from a renewable source, wind, solar, whatever, at uh, somewhere around a dollar and a half per kilogram. Now, a dollar and a half per kilogram is roughly the equivalent of 75 cents a gallon. So you're talking about very, very inexpensive on a fossil fuel basis. Then the pressure comes, well, if you're at the tip of Patagonia, because that's where the electricity is cheap and that's where the water is plentiful, how do you get it to Houston? No, there's no road to drive. There's no train you can take. you got to fly. And the only way you can fly is if you use a dirigible because it has, it has hydrogen. It's a lifting gas. So it goes straight up in the air. doesn't use an airport. doesn't use a seaport. goes straight up in the air. flies whatever distance you want. We recommend 150 miles an hour because that's the best speed to get the maximum payload delivered. And to me, it's about how inexpensive can I get a kilogram of hydrogen from where it's made to where it's consumed. So then if you look at a map, and I've given you a little booklet with a bunch of them on that write that, that pictures of where the, all these plants are, it's clear there had to be some way to get them to market, so we focused on that. And our company, H2C, which we call the hydrogen delivery company, is designed to do only one thing, that is to move hydrogen both on the ground, through our pipes, in the air, what we call the pipeline in the sky, because when you can move 400,000 pounds of liquid hydrogen, that's a pipeline. <laughs> that's pipeline capacity. Um, and so we, we, we have these technologies we've developed since 2008. Uh, they're highly proprietary, um, heavily patented. And our job is to use them to empower all the existing players, particularly in the fossil fuel industry, to be able to make the transition to hydrogen. Because our goal is to get hydrogen to happen sooner. So what we do is we license people to use our technology. So we are, we work for over a year now, we work with Total in France, for example, because they have a piece of the plant in Chile, by the way. Um, we work with Scottish Enterprises because Scotland is one giant hydrogen farm waiting to happen because they have wind and water like crazy. And they have a deal with the German government. I don't know if it's public or not, but to move hydrogen to Germany. Okay. Well, how are you going to get it from Scotland to Germany? Turns out the most efficient economic way by far is to take it with a pipeline in the sky. You can't get a pipeline on the ground for that. So, and again, you can't drive. You know, so you've got to get it there. And if you could drive, it'd be crazy because tube trucks, which is how hydrogen is delivered by land now, are ridiculously expensive. They're typically four to 500% more expensive than what we can do with our technology. So it's a real breakthrough in terms of how to move hydrogen at cost. And that was our goal as a company, was to just fo focus on the part that no one else was doing, delivery. So if you think of, and I'm going to give you an analogy. 
the hydrogen economy today is like a, a, a barbell, okay? Uh, one of the barbells is like a round weight, right? And I, there's weight there. And that's called how to make it. So money, politics, everything's going into that. How do we make this hydrogen? That's one end. On the other end, you've got governments and you've got companies saying, how do we sell it? Who do we sell it to? So that's the opposite end of the barbell. And there's one piece of metal between the two, which is where you put your hands. That's called delivery. That's where we are. And unfortunately, we have no competition. That's the, we're the only economic way to move between, between the guy on the A and the guy over here at B. And what we wanted to do was make sure that people we weren't greedy. That uh, we're not going to try and vertically integrate. I've told Total, I've told Chevron, we'll never make hydrogen in competition with you guys, ever, even though we could. Uh, we've told uh, Plug Power, we'll never make electrolyzers, even though we could. We will never make uh, uh, fuel cells, because everybody can do that already. And, it, and there's many good companies doing it. What we're focusing on is how do you get it once you make it to where you consume it? And how do you do that so inexpensively? that you can compete with fossil fuel at pre-Ukrainian invasion prices. That's what we accomplish. I see. So, I mean, of course, that's, that's getting it from point A to point B is yeah. certainly important. Uh, but I guess my question would be, are there any risks involved with, with transporting the hydrogen as well? No. No, no. In fact, hydrogen is the safest thing you can transport. So any tank that has gas, natural gas, diesel, if I take a rifle and put a bullet in that tank, it'll blow up like a bomb, right? You know that. Of course. Yeah. Hydrogen tank won't. And there's plenty of pictures online. In fact, I can show you one right now that was taken from online. There are plenty of pictures of professors all over the world who've shot bullets at hydrogen cars. And what you get is a 30-foot high flame. The temperature of the cab never goes up more than 2 degrees. And when the hydrogen is all gone, the flame goes out. And not true for any other kind of fuel. Why? Because hydrogen expands so rapidly, the only way you can get it to explode is if you find some way to contain it. And a gas tank with a bullet in it won't contain it. So it's the safest thing you can do. Now, there are many people, um, Environmental Defense Fund, EDF being one of them, who believe that we should be monitoring small leakage in hydrogen all over the world because we didn't monitor methane, and we now know we should have. And it's a problem, methane, because we leak tremendous amounts of methane into the air. In fact, flaring isn't even leaking. It's intentionally putting methane in the air. So, and which I think is going to come to an end because it's uneconomic to keep doing it, and it's going to be illegal to keep doing it. Well, people like EDF say, wait a minute. If we're going to bring in a new fuel system like hydrogen, why don't we start with the right standard? Why don't we start with the standard that says, don't put it in the air? To which... My response to Fred Krupp and the folks at EDF was, I agree with you. It's too valuable to give away. Why put it in the air? Why don't we design systems that are safe and comprehensive for carrying it? Because to me, it's just too expensive and too important to just leak or like for no good reason. So one of the reasons we use liquid hydrogen in the airship is because we want to be able to deliver a huge quantity relatively cheaply. And like you never small as... You never saw a small Exxon Valdez. You never saw a small liquid natural gas ship. Why? Because you need the volume to pay for the ship. Same with us. We're delivering liquid hydrogen. No one's ever done that in the world before. So with liquid hydrogen, you want to get it as much as you can. And every single drop is worth a lot of money. So we build all of our systems for zero leakage. And then we build on top of them detection systems. So if there was even a minute leakage, as small as... 
300 parts per million is a number I, uh, I like to quote to people, um, which you know, 300 parts per million is virtually undetectable by most systems. The sensors we use will go that low, even though it takes 40,000 parts per million to explode or to, to catch fire, actually. It doesn't explode. And um, do you develop this uh, sensor? Is that no? No. We what we do is our job is to develop the technology, and then we purchase sensors. Of uh, there's two suppliers of them now, and we will encourage others to get on board. Um, one of them is a nameplate company you would recognize; the other you wouldn't because it's a small California company. But both are certified, been around for years, are used in a number of applications. Um, in a similar vein, we don't for our pipe within a pipe technology which is how we move hydrogen along the ground as a gas. Because once it's a liquid, then you want to turn into a gas because your car can't use liquid. It needs gas, like my car does. So I drive a uh, Nexo, uh, Nexo Hyundai Nexo, uses gas, just like a gas in your tank. I fill up at a gas station. It takes me four minutes. I go 325 miles. Now that gas has to be delivered to that gas station. And the way to do that is to with our what's called pipe within a pipe technology. So we use uh, we, we we teach people how to use a pipe that's encased in a larger pipe with sensors to detect minute ligature changes. The carrier pipe, the middle one, and the one in the middle is carrying the hydrogen. The pipe around it, that's why pipe within a pipe is the name, has got the sensors embedded in it. We run a sweep gas, an inert gas like nitrogen between the two. So we're constantly monitoring every square millimeter of that hydrogen pipe for even a single molecule leaking out. And that way we can tell long before there's going to be a problem. Like there's no system like this for gas detection in the methane world. We've been running pipelines all over the world. No one ever thought they should have that kind of detection. They should have. So we started with that. Detecting leaks within leaks with pipes within pipes. That's exactly right. Good for <laughs> you. You got it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you seem really confident uh, about all this technology. Are there any other patents that uh, you would like to talk about? Well, we, we have a lot of patents. Uh, we, we have a patent for, um, well, there's patents pending on a number of things. So currently we have about 10 patents with 250 separate claims. Um, we've never had a patent denied. So everything we filed for, we've gotten because we got in so early and we were ahead, way ahead of the curve. Um, when we hired KPMG, um, the famous international accounting firm to do what's called a liquidation analysis. So we said, don't tell us what our company is worth if we're a going concern or a business. We don't want to know what the enterprise value. We want to know if we had to go out of business tomorrow morning, what are our patents worth at an auction? That's what's called the liquidation value. And they came back and they said roughly $200 million. And that number goes up every time we get another patent. We have at least 10 more patents pending. So we will continue to develop patents in the hydrogen field. That's our expertise. All of our engineering people are all either hydrogen people or they're aeronautical people. Uh, we don't, as I said earlier, we don't compete with any of the main fossil fuel companies. We don't compete with pipeline companies. We help them. You know, one of the problems pipeline companies have, uh, pipelines like Magellan Mainstream, for example, uh, their business is going away because they only get paid when they push natural gas through their pipelines. Well, if you want to carry hydrogen, you can't do it in that pipeline. So what's your pipeline worth if your business of natural gas is going to go down, down, down? Because it is, right? I mean, that's what the conversion off of fossil fuel will mean. You got to have a way to start selling hydrogen, but you can't wait till your last methane molecule gets sold. You want to start selling hydrogen today in small quantities and build that business up. Transition strategy. Because you don't want to strand the asset. So what we do is we have a technology that can take any 
existing pipe, whether it's methane or not in it at this time. And uh, you can use our pipe within a pipe inside of it. And you could be carrying pure hydrogen in our pipe and still be carrying methane in the outer pipe. Or put it in an abandoned pipe. That's, that's what a lot of Europeans are doing, choosing to do. Um, so we, 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 we love the idea of helping companies like pipeline companies like Williams and Kinder and, and, and Magellan. Don't worry about your future business going away as we burn less and less natural gas. Replace the gas we're not burning with the hydrogen, which we are selling, and make your money there. And as the hydrogen sales go up, you slowly decrease the, the methane sales. But don't, don't give one up before the other's there. Nobody wants that. No, no one smart wants that. So our, our, all of our technology is designed to assist in that transition and to avoid stranded assets. That's, we always start with that question. How do we use an existing asset and keep it deployed? So do you have any specific examples about um, any of this technology being utilized? Like yeah, I mean, so the, the, the technology, the, the patents, for example, for the pipe within a pipe, September was when the second one was issued. So we just started. The, the fellow you met a little while ago left. We hired him literally the 1st of February. He heads up our pipe within a pipe sales group because we didn't have a sales group. All we had was a technology group. So we're, we're that new to the business. But yes, we're now in negotiations with Enagas in Spain, uh, Redexis in Spain. Um, we've met now with the German minister uh, and his people. Uh, we uh, are working with Caltrans in California to help install a whole network of this technology for Southern California Gas, which has 20 million customers. Um, we've got uh, many, I mean, it's like, it's just a long list of folks around the world who don't want their pipes to become useless, who want to be able to start selling hydrogen. And if you want to sell pure hydrogen, which is what we specialize in, it doesn't matter whether you got it from a refinery or you got it from a windmill, it's pure if it's 99.999% hydrogen. And why that's important is the hydrogen car I drive, the Nexo, and I used to drive the Mirai, um, you cannot put adulterated hydrogen in the tank because it will destroy the PEMSTEC fuel cell. So you have to keep it pure all the way through the delivery system. So what we did is we designed an end-to-end -end delivery system for pure hydrogen. Um, people ask me, well, could you carry a blend of hydrogen methane. Yes, I could carry it, but I then could never carry hydrogen again there. So if you want to buy one of the clippers, or airships, and have it carry a blend of hydrogen, you could, but then I can't use it for hydrogen after that because once you've used anything to carry hydrogen that's been adulterated, you can't use it again to get pure hydrogen. It's just a, it has to do with the way the molecule migrates. Well, before I let you go here, are there any closing thoughts, anything you'd like to leave um, our listeners with today? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I'd like the listeners to realize, <laughs> look, if people have not figured out what the immediate threat of climate change is, they're not paying attention. Whether it's tornadoes in Oklahoma, fires in California, or you name the floods in Bangladesh, okay? The whole world is suffering from climate change, and it's accelerating. And what I want to leave with people is, that's not inevitable. We can solve this problem. But in order to solve this problem, we have got to do something about dramatically reducing fossil fuels. Now, I don't know anybody who doesn't agree with that. And I don't know even CEOs of oil companies who I know some. Uh, they don't think that uh, they want to keep burning oil at the risk of you know, the planet you know, drowning in heat and floods. 
So the good news is we can do this. The bad news is we have to do this. <laughs> so if it ain't us, who would if it ain't now when is my motto. So what I want to leave you with is let's get behind this transition because there's no question we must get off of fossil fuel. It's, it's, the, it's like heroin. We've been addicted to it for 100 years. You got to pull the needle out. But you don't have to pull it out and bleed to death. We can actually substitute the fossil fuel. And as we increase the hydrogen, we can decrease the fossil fuel. In the hydrogen we deliver in pure form, when you put it in a fuel cell, there are zero, zero gases it gives off except water vapor. Pure H2O. That's what comes out of a fuel cell when you combine hydrogen and oxygen. So the hydrogen goes in your tank. You get the oxygen out of the air. Put them together, it throws off an electron. Every time you make an H2O molecule, it gives you one electron. That's electricity. And the byproduct is literally pure water. That's what we can do. Wow. Well, thank you again, Ronaldo, for taking some time out of your day to speak to our audience. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, feel free to join us any other um, time again. I'll look forward to the invitation because you know what? There's a lot of story to tell here. And there's a lot of different um, pieces of it. And no one's going to get it the first time through, as you well know. So we're happy to keep coming back because part of what we need to do as a company, since we're a technology company, explain our technology and help people understand why it makes sense and why it's important to them. It's not just, am I going to make another successful company like all the other ones I've built? No, it's about how can we make a difference and how can we leave this planet safe for our children and our grandchildren? That's the question. And we haven't got 30 years to figure out the answer.